Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today on Sojourner Truth, we kick off our Black History Month coverage. We discuss challenges facing Black and Brown communities today, including ongoing bomb threats against historically Black colleges, HBCUs, the latest on what is going on in Congress to protect certification of presidential elections, and community-based work being done to encourage voters and to protect the vote. Those on the right slamming President Biden's announcement that he will select a black woman to the United States Supreme Court, and the Department of Justice has refused to reopen the federal investigation into the 2014 police killing of 12-year-old Tamir Rice. Our guest is Barbara Arnwine, president and founder of the Transformative Justice Coalition, and racist and anti-Semitic vandalism at Queens College, part of the City University of New York. Delaney Hall is a building used by the Sikh program and was recently vandalized. Sikh students, while mixed race, are primarily low-income, ethnic, and people of color students. Sikh students and faculty alike are pressing the college administration to take action. The Sikh program grew out of the civil rights movement in an effort led by the late Shirley Chisholm. What's going on? We speak with Dr. Natania Duncan, director of Queens College Africana Studies. Likely, many of you are gearing up to relax and root for your favorite team during Super Bowl 2022, which takes place at the SoFi Stadium in Englewood, Los Angeles, on Sunday, February 13th. Englewood is a predominantly um, people of color community facing gentrification. But what is going on behind the scenes as law enforcement promises to crack down on those viewed as quote-unquote undesirable, houseless people, and sex workers? For every Super Bowl, there is the claim promoted by law enforcement and anti-sex worker campaigners that the Super Bowls are a haven for sex trafficking. Not so, says the Coalition of Sex Worker Organizations. They're planning to expose racist and sexist trafficking and the Super Bowl misinformation and misinformation about trafficking generally. Our guest is Alex Mukulit an organizer with U.S. Prostitutes Collective. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated, so on Sojourner Truth. We work to bring directly to you news and views of local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. President Biden reportedly has approved the deployment of additional U.S. troops to Eastern Europe. CNN reports the Pentagon is expected to announce the deployment today. The deployments will apparently include roughly 2,000 U.S. troops to Poland and a few thousand more to other countries, including Romania. Some of the troops will be sent from the U.S., others redeployed from other sites in Europe. The reported troop movement will come a day after Russian President Vladimir Putin accused the U.S. and its allies of ignoring Russia's top security demands. His translated remarks appeared on Al Jazeera. 
Let's imagine that Ukraine is a member of NATO, stuffed with weapons, with modern strike systems, the same as in Poland and Romania. Who will stop it? And what if it starts operations in the Crimea? I'm not even talking about the Donbass. This is sovereign Russian territory. Putin also said Russia is willing to take part in further negotiations to ease tensions over Ukraine. Meantime, more than 100 peace and social justice groups signed on to a letter urging the Biden administration to agree to halt NATO's expansion, which is a key Russian demand, and to pursue diplomacy with the country. The letter warns that it is, quote, gravely irresponsible for the president to participate in brinksmanship between two nations that possess 90% of the world's nuclear weapons. Former President Trump has doubled down on his pledge to pardon convicted Capitol insurrectionists if re-elected. Trump appeared on the right-wing network Newsmax last night. These people are being treated horribly. I would absolutely, because some of them are being treated very unfairly. Yeah, I would absolutely give them a pardon the, the punishments if things are don't out work of, out fairly. Punishments are out of proportion to the crime. Out of proportion, like 20 times out of proportion. Mm -hmm. These people are being persecuted. Federal authorities have arrested more than 700 people in connection with last year's January 6th attack by Trump supporters, which was aimed at preventing congressional certification of Joe Biden's presidential win. In last night's interview, Trump called friend and frequent golfing partner Republican Senator Lindsey Graham a rhino, Republican in name only. That's after Graham called Trump's pledge to pardon insurrectionists inappropriate. As Mary Sherman reports, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has also rejected Trump's remarks. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell says he would not support shortening any of the sentences of January 6th protesters who pleaded guilty to crimes. What we saw here on January the 6th was an effort to prevent the peaceful transfer of power from one administration to another, which had never happened before in our country. That's a different position than former President Donald Trump, who'd said he'd consider pardoning the protesters if he were to become president again. A resolution will be introduced at this week's RNC winter meeting calling for Republicans Liz Cheney and Adam Kensinger to be removed from the January 6th House Committee. The proposal currently has 50 co-sponsors. I'm Mary Sherman for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Fired Miami Dolphins coach Brian Flores has sued the NFL and three teams. Flores, who is African-American, alleges racist hiring practices by the league, even as it publicly condemns racism. The lawsuit also claims Flores was given sham interviews to comply with diversity requirements when teams had already decided to pick white coaches. Flores said on CNN he knows his lawsuit could cost him future opportunities to coach football. This is this is bigger than me. This is bigger than football. Um, many have have come before um, and and done a lot to create change in this country um, for, for people of color. Um, and I just felt like um, in this instance, um, you know, it was my turn to step up and and, and, and be an agent for change. And, and I'm 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 uh, I'm proud to do that. The lawsuit seeks class action status. In a statement, the NFL called Flores' claims without merit, saying diversity is core to everything it does.
Washington's NFL team is now known as the Commanders. The new name was unveiled 18 months after the team dropped its old name following decades of protests over the offensive moniker by Native Americans and under fresh pressure from sponsors. Washington joins Major League Baseball's Cleveland Guardians, among North American major professional sports teams abandoning names linked to Native Americans. ABC has suspended Whoopi Goldberg for two weeks as co-host of The View because of what the head of ABC News called her wrong and hurtful comments about Jews and the Holocaust. Goldberg apologized for saying the Holocaust was not about race during a discussion on Monday's show. Yesterday's apology came as she explained how she was educated that her comments on the show the day before were wrong. I'm Eileen Alfandari for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We are going to kick off our Black History Month coverage. So much to discuss. Very, very disturbing, these bomb threats against um, HBCUs, historically black colleges. Uh, so much going on about uh, protecting the certification of presidential elections, the threat, the continued threat uh, to the right to vote, um, how are community organizations responding, and even President Biden's announcement that he's going to select a black woman to the U.S. Supreme Court, now being slammed by Senator uh, Ted Cruz and others on the right, and Samira Rice, um, the mother of Tamir Rice, has lost her bid to have the Department of Justice reopen the federal investigation into the 2014 police killing of her 12-year-old son. Uh, well, here to discuss a lot of this, all of this, I'd like to welcome back to Sojourner Truth, Barbara Arnwine, veteran, civil rights and human rights leader and advocate currently the president and founder of the Transformative Justice Coalition for 26 years. She was executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, which really led the way in, in so many ways um, on the fight for um, getting the renewal of the Civil Rights Act, of course, which was then gutted in 2014, the heart of it, in 2013 by the U.S. Supreme Court. Let us go to a clip from NBC News on bomb threats against HBCUs. Tonight, many of the nation's historically black colleges and universities on heightened alert from Delaware to Florida to Louisiana. Hours with campuses locked down, orders to shelter in place because of more than a dozen bomb threats. Sad that it's really only HBCUs that are being targeted. At Howard University, bomb threats two days in a row, the third threat since January 5th. You take these threats seriously? Absolutely. Like many at these institutions, Dr. Toshni Ann Dubroy thinks the fact that it's the start of Black History Month is likely no coincidence. A month that usually celebrates the innovation of our community and uh, celebrates the valor of black people has now been tainted because we have such a significant threat against our HBCU community. At the White House, aides say the president is getting regular updates. It is scary. It is horrifying. It is um, terrible that these students, these faculty, these institutions are feeling under threat. The FBI saying they're working with our law enforcement partners to address any potential threats. For now, students like Ashley Fields are back in class with a lot of questions. We've not received any word about whether the two have been connected or, you know, where the threat has come from. It's not the ideal environment for students trying to learn. 
On Howard's campus now, a much bigger police presence, including help from the D.C. Metro Police, not usually stationed here. So far, authorities have not reported finding any explosive devices on any campus. All righty. So, Barbara Arnwine, I understand you are on right now. Barbara Arnwine, welcome back. You heard the clip. A lot of disturbing stuff. There's so much that we have to try and go through very quickly, Barbara. But first, this threat to HBCUs later in the hour, in fact, the next segment, I'm going to be talking about vandalism that happened at the Queens College and the City University of New York at Delaney Hall, which is a building used by the Sikh program, which are a lot of students of color, ethnic minorities, both racist and anti-Semitic. But your thoughts then about these HBCUs and these bomb threats, because this isn't the first time so many came in on the first day of Black History Month, Barbara Arnwine. Well, you know, people just have to understand that our nation has a deep and long history of racial violence uh, against black institutions. Remember when Dylan Roth uh, attacked the Mother Emanuel and killed nine uh uh, you know, practitioners who were there, congregants who had come, you know, for their Bible study that night, that that was on the anniversary of the Denmark Vesey um, uh, revolution in the United States, rebellion, slave rebellion. So it's very clear that these um, haters, you know, absolutely are paying attention to the black history calendar, even though all these uh you know, uh, states are trying to move to get rid of teaching black history. I mean, it's all these ironies. But also, I blame this on the president, uh, the former president. Uh, uh, you know, Donald Trump has been on the stump talking to people about violence and about, uh, you know, encouraging, you know, people to, enter, you know, to take to the streets, to be violent. Uh, if he, quotes get indicted uh, because black women prosecutors are prosecuting him, and he's calling it racist. So he's been turning the dial up, which makes a lot of these people out there who are already mentally unstable, already hateful, to feel empowered that they can go out and attack blacks. So this is uh, in other people of color and, uh, you know, not to mention, you know, Jewish people. So there's just all this hate that has been engendered, and he's not being held accountable by anybody. Uh, so it's uh, really widespread, and it's, it's like, you know, pouring more gasoline on a existing fire. It's very, very problematic. I hope that, uh, you know, that we will do everything in our power. That means everything that the U.S. government uh, and the state governments and the local governments and the schools and universities can do to keep people safe because these people are crazy. Remember that not too long ago at Bowie State, a couple years ago, Richard Collins was killed by a racist hater who came onto the campus and killed him at a bus stop uh, while yelling racial epithets. Uh, well, you know, so I just want people to understand that these are, that the, we got to take this seriously and we cannot uh, sit back and just say it's people playing. This is a very serious uh, and non-coincidental attack at the beginning of Black History Month. There are people who really do believe in genocide. Yeah, I'm glad you made the point about this isn't playing, because as you say, 
some of these attacks happen on um, historically significant days. There was a round of bombing uh, threats against HBCUs. I think it was either the day before the anniversary of the January 6th insurrection, then the day of the start of um, Black History Month. So this stuff is, is planned and calculated, and people do have to take it seriously. We have to remember Malcolm X's uh, home was bombed. Uh, there were bomb threats against uh, Martin Luther King. And also, these are, well, not children, but these are young people um, who have all kinds of stresses that they have to deal with, uh, starting with racism, right? Sexism, homophobia, so much uh, COVID that they're dealing with that this just adds, um, adds to it. So, Barbara, also a quick comment from you, because this is also part of the context is uh, Samara Rice, she has been trying and trying and trying to get some uh, justice, uh, you know, for her son. And now yes. the Department of Justice is refusing uh, the federal case. And, in fact, the woman who replaced you, I think she replaced you, at the um, uh, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, Kristen yes. Clark, is that right? She's now the That's head correct. of the Department Civil right. Rights Division. She was given the task, I guess, of writing the letter uh, to Samara Rice, uh, saying that they're, they're, you know, they just can't do it. We know that it's a, we're told that it's a tough case to bring these kinds of federal charges, but also there were something like fifty, um, you know, uh, attorneys who wrote, uh, 50 scholars in constitutional, criminal, and civil rights law, who wrote that they believed that the case could be open and scrutinized. But it just feels like just another slap in the face, along with the uh, Amon Aubrey, with that deal that got scuttled by the Department of Justice, that would have meant that, though, you know, that killer would have served time in federal prison, which was considered a bit better prison than um, the uh, the state prison. Barbara Arnwine, your thoughts on all these? Yes, you know, the Transformative Justice Coalition, uh, myself and my co-leader, Attorney Daryl Jones, we were in Brunswick uh, on Monday uh, to deal with this whole situation. We actually went expecting a very short hearing uh, and found out, uh, you know, when it all blew up that next morning, that Monday morning, that there was, in fact, this plea deal. That's, uh, and let me let you know that I had been talking with the family on Sunday, and they didn't know until late Sunday that there was going to be this plea deal. Uh, and so they were not consulted uh, like they should have been, uh, you know, and they were quite upset. And uh, so, uh, so Attorney Jones and I spent the day on Monday working with the family to make sure that people understood what their objections were to the plea deal. And uh, so far, people are all focusing on this issue of state prison versus federal prison. But in addition, very importantly, all of that hate statements uh, that were made by Travis McMichael, Greg McMichael, by uh, Brian, uh, you know, by Brian, all of those statements would have been under seal under this agreement. The public would wow. never see all of those racist hate statements, and that was huge for us 
because we really, wait a minute, Barbara, I want to underscore that. You mean the killers of Armand Aubrey. All of that stuff, I wanted to call it another word, that they said that clearly showed their racism. We never would have known what that was as part of this plea deal. Are you kidding me? That's correct. They would never have been, as you noticed yesterday, the judge wouldn't allow them to even read the statements. Uh, that uh, the five, the quote, five exemplary statements, let me be very clear, that there were many other statements uh, of racist hate uh, where they were wow. talking about uh, hating, uh, calling black folks monkeys, coons, uh, you know, talking about the N-word over and over and over, talking about how much they hated, you know, being in the presence of blacks, talking about how much they wanted to hurt, hurt and kill black people. That was in these statements. And, uh, you know, so all of this nonsense that people believe that this case was just a coincidence, that these people just used bad judgment on one day of their lives is just untrue. They had been sitting around hating and wanting to hurt somebody black way before poor Ahmad, you know, uh, stumbled into their neighborhood thinking he could just run in peace and stop occasionally and look at a construction site that was wide open, uh, and he had no clue that this murderous intent was all behind these people's eyes and their, their, their motives, and that they were sitting up there just waiting for somebody black to have the nerve to come into, uh, you know, their neighbor, wander into their neighborhood. So this is, uh, you know, something that we just got to, talk about because what happens in all of these discussions is that we want to bury and ignore the ugliness of racism because if you allow that kind of racist uh, talk, racist intent, I mean, they were posting, let me be very clear, people, these aren't just independent letters, they were posting these racist statements to uh, to Facebook, uh, to other uh, you know, public uh, social media. They weren't ashamed of it. They were proudly boasting, and nobody was telling them to take it down. They weren't being encouraged, you know, to stop that by their friends, by their neighbors, by their relatives, everybody they were talking to. They were being encouraged in it. So this is a problem in our country. We really got to be honest about the racial hate and the racial violence that exists, and that's what, sadly, uh, the former President Trump is tapping into. He knows that exists out there, and he's using all of that to fuel and flame violence uh, coming up with these uh, upcoming elections, and we have to call it out. It's a shame that the media, you know, uh, isn't able to go after his uh, his. Uh, aides and supporters who get on TV and talk and say, well, what is racist about this, uh, these um, complaints being brought against him? If he violated the law, he violated the law. Why is it that he's only saying this about black prosecutors? What's going on here? I mean, they, you know, people got to call this stuff out, and we got to be honest about where we are in this nation, and we got to stop you know, trying to cover it up and kumbaya everything. No. We're not in a kumbaya moment. We're in a very dangerous moment in our history, and we got to make sure that we're honest about it. Because uh, if you don't name the problem, you can't solve it correctly. 
Right, Ralph said, uh, Barbara Arnwine, and you know, I worry so much about Aman's mother and, and the family. You know, please, I know you work uh, closely with them. Yeah. Please let them know, I'm sure you do, that those of us on this show and just thousands, if not millions of people across the country and other parts of the world are with her and are equally outraged <laughs> by all this. And I'm sure a lot of what you said about this racist language, a lot of our listeners likely didn't even know that stuff because it, it yeah. was not, it didn't come out in the trial. You know what I'm saying? But, right. Uh, Barbara, well, they didn't want to talk about uh, race. Uh-huh. No, I was saying, hey, it didn't come out purposely because they didn't want it to be about race. I was told not to even talk about race. And I kept telling people, you can't hide race. And, of course, when the uh, defense attorney got up there and started talking racist, uh, all of a sudden everybody had to talk about race. And I had warned them that was going to happen. No, uh, the family really cares deeply, people. You know, I talk directly to the father every day because this father has been amazingly courageous, Marcus Arbery, and I talk to the aunts. I, you know, I work with them uh, very closely, and I just have you know nothing but love and respect and admiration for the mom. She's a great lady, uh, but they all have been you know active in fighting for justice for Ahmad, and without them, we would never be where we are now. In this case, absolutely. Barbara, we, we just have a, a couple of minutes left, but I, yeah. I wanted you to comment now. You know, Trump clearly is coming out. You know, I hate really mentioning that man, but he's now coming out uh, very openly, but basically admitting, trying to scuttle, you know, the certification of President Biden. But right now we have a bipartisan group of lawmakers on the Hill that, according to AP, AP puts it, they're furiously working to update the 135-year-old law that was put in place in the aftermath of the of the Civil War. And a, a lot, something that a lot of people don't know, uh, Barbara, is that um, that law came in place to basically allow federal troops from being pulled out of the South where they were protecting, you know, black people with the whole Reconstruction era, right? right? So they're working on that, but we all know that this is this doesn't go far enough, but it does seem as though Mitch McConnell is open to it, and, and now there are people who are pressing to include in it parts of the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Just some thoughts from you on this. Well, the Electoral Count Act, as they're working on it right now, is a SOP. It's a sop. I mean, you got people hungry, thirsty for voting rights protection, and you're just going to give them a little wet towel to suck on? Come on now. You know, what we're talking about <laughs> is that it's urgent. It's absolutely urgent that we pass real federal legislation that will absolutely protect the right to vote. I mean, as far as the Electoral Count Act goes, it's weak. It's bad even as an act addressing just the electoral count, uh, not to mention that it doesn't have any protections for people's ability to vote. Now, imagine if, if somebody was only talking about counting your vote but, not, but blocking you from ever voting at all. So it doesn't matter what gets counted because you're never going to have your vote counted. So those are the kinds of issues that we're fighting. We're saying you've got to have a comprehensive voting rights regimen that protects the right to vote, protects the process of voting, and protects the preservation of those ballots, and protects the uh, right to have those ballots counted correctly. So 
this is what they need to be dealing with. They're just uh, playing around. These, this is crumbs trying to make themselves look like they're uh, for voting when they're not. Uh, this is all unacceptable, and we're going to fight it. And I'm so glad that you know a number of the organizations have been issuing letters, uh, making it clear that we will not accept this SOP, that we are won't we won't fool glasses of water of protection. We want to be bathed with the righteous waters of protection instead of this nonsense. Uh, so I just, you know, you can tell I am against uh, this uh, whole effort. It's being led by people like Collins and others who had the opportunity, had the opportunity to vote for real protection and didn't. Uh, so this is just a game. It's gamesmanship. And remember that Susan Collins, one of the leaders of this effort, is one of the people getting up on national TV talking against a black woman nominee to the Supreme Court. Who do you think these people really are? I mean, they're showing really? their true colors all the way. And so you cannot put your trust in people who are already showing that they're anti your best interests. So I just will not, uh, uh, you know, endorse this effort. Uh, it's not uh, at all what needs to happen. President Biden needs to immediately be working on a strong executive order uh, to protect the right to vote. There's many things he can do with his pen and with his presidential power, and we need him to do it urgently. We need him to make and issue that executive order uh, no later than Selma, because you know, on March the 3rd through the 6th, uh, thousands and thousands of people are going to convene on Selma to commemorate Bloody Sunday, which led to the passage of the 1965 Voting Rights Act that has been impaired and hurt by this uh, Roberts Court, and... We need to fix all of that, and he can actually issue an executive order that could make this election season of 2022 better. So he needs to do that. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Uh, we know that we got to fight because, uh, sadly, there's too many people determined to undermine our democratic process. Right, and and Barbara Arnwine, just quickly before you leave, you're, we're a bit over time, but give us the the website of um, the um, Transformative Justice Transformative Justice Coalition because you all are doing daily Black History Month uh, posts. Yes, uh, yes, how can we are. Check it out. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you so much. We are doing every day. We're putting out a, a Black History Month um, uh, profile. Uh, highlight so that people will know about the relationship of voting rights and black history and the long, long fight for black history. I know a lot of people have never heard of Prince Hall. A lot of people have not heard about Ida B. Wells Barnett and so many other people who we are highlighting uh, are Mary Shad right. Carey. Uh, but they can go to tjcoalition.org. That's T as in transformative, TJ coalition.org that's our website plus we're posting it at our second website which is votingrightsalliance.org voting rights alliance come be part of us sign up to be All right. active in this battle we'll see you in Selma thank you okay thank you and I'm sure you'll be back on Sojourner Truth very soon Barbara Arnwine thank you for your work <laughs> thank you so much for joining us <laughs> Thank you for your you. great show. My son yesterday, we went to, uh, to his uh, 
well, to his uh, dreader, uh, and they and she said, uh, "Your mother, your last name is Arnwine. Is your mother Barbara Arnwine?" And he said, "Yes." He said, "Hey, listen to her on the Mary on the Journal Truth show all the time." Thank you, thank you, Margaret. You're great. <laughs> oh, that's You're wonderful. Great outreach. Isn't that, that great? Is, that I loved it. Great. It made me just smile. <laughs> I just had to tell you that you're influencing and reaching so many great minds and so many people. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, Barbara Arnwine. Um, we are going to take our short station break now, and then following up, uh, waiting in the wings to talk with us is a, a story about uh, the SEEK program, and uh, Dr. Netanya Duncan will be joining us, and uh, some disturbing things happening there along the lines of race. And then what's up with some of what's going on behind the scenes of the Super Bowl? We'll take a station break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is now airing on KPFK weekday afternoons at 5 p.m. Some of the guests you'll hear on Pacifica's award-winning current affairs show are Oliver Stone, Noam Chomsky, Tom Hartman, John Pilger, and the world's top journalists. If you like Democracy Now!, chances are really good that you're going to enjoy Flashpoints. You're invited to tune in 5 p.m. Monday through Friday right here at KPFK, 90.7 FM Los Angeles, or online at kpfk.org. Please help keep independent journalism alive and KPFK Radio Strong. Become a Sustainer Circle member of KPFK by pledging at any level. $10, $20, $100 per month, whatever suits you. This is Verdeen White of Earth, Wind & Fire, encouraging you to make your tax-deductible donation today at 818-985-5735 or kpfk.org. Mumia Abu-Jamal from Imprisoned Nation. You're listening to listener-sponsored KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. KPFK, powered by the people. Earth Minute. Last week, an 80 million acre oil and gas lease sale in the Gulf of Mexico was invalidated after a federal judge ruled the auction did not properly analyze the impacts on climate change. The decision cast uncertainty over the future of U.S. federal offshore drilling. The ruling, which cancels 1.7 million acres of oil and gas leases from that sale, comes after a lawsuit filed in March by the environmental group Earth Justice on behalf of a coalition of groups, including the Center for Biological Diversity, Healthy Gulf, and Friends of the Earth. According to an Earth Justice senior attorney, 
We simply cannot continue to make investments in the fossil fuel industry to the peril of our communities and increasingly warming planet. Vacating the lease sale is a step in the right direction, but systemic change requires stopping all oil and gas development and looking for ways to dramatically decrease our energy consumption. For the Earth Minute and the Sojourner Truth Show, this is Teresa Church with Global Justice Ecology Project. If you've missed any part of this hour, from 10 this morning for 90 days after that, just go to kpfk.org, scroll down to archives, our handle on Instagram and Twitter, at SoTrueRadio. We're also worldwide and nationwide on SoundCloud. And today we'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Queens in New York City. And internationally, we would like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in South Africa. We're now going to turn our attention to a very disturbing story happening at uh, Queens College, um, which is part of the City University of New York that impacts the SEEK program. To tell you a little bit about the SEEK program, it was born out of the civil rights movement, according to their website, and deeply rooted in activism and social justice. Um, it aligns itself with movements and coalitions for justice, equity, and peace, and the students, faculty, and staff are representative people who have been historically disenfranchised or who are allies with movements for justice. Let us go to a short clip now about the SEEK program. So initially, SEEK and CD were designed to provide access to black and Puerto Rican students. And so it's involved to um, provide access and also persistence help and, and through support services and to graduation. And so we're looking to get them into the school and to graduate them from CUNY schools. The good college is always expensive or like if they're in the city, it's kind of hard to get into because of the grades. So getting into SEEK helped a lot. It's also breaking the generational poverty cycles that happen, and it's allowing students to, to show others in their family, look, I can do it, I can be the pioneer, and I can help you learn how to do it too. The SEEK program was a great opportunity for me to get a little extra help in college. Not knowing anything about what college was going to be like, I felt like reading through what SEEK was, helping students, giving them a chance, making sure that not only they have the needs of education, but also money-wise, it really made me feel that I was prepared for college. You're trying to navigate through college life and being able to transition from high school all the way to college, which is a very big transition. So I feel like this program, I look forward to the programs offering me the support, the guidance, the, the tutoring. We try to just help you on your journey and, and help you navigate. So the student comes with the parts. We just show them how to navigate and use those parts through a complicated system, which is higher education. So um, there you go. And uh, for full disclosure, um, for quite a while, I was part of the faculty of the SEEK program at Queens College, so I'm very familiar uh, with the campus and quite upset about what I'm hearing about what's going on. I did that before relocating to uh, Southern California. Now I'd like to welcome our guest, Dr. Natanya Duncan, who is Director of the Queens College Africana Studies and Associate Professor of History there. Dr. Duncan, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you today. 
Right. So what is going on? I certainly remember Delaney Hall. It's a place primarily uh, used by uh, Sikh, other people of color in, in the building and on the Queen's College campus. So uh, tell us what has happened um, to, in Delaney Hall and why students and faculty are upset about it and what has been the college's response. Dr. Well, on, Jan on January 6th, a colleague of ours discovered that a racial, two racial epithets had been scrawled on a corkboard in Delaney Hall, and those racial epithets included a swastika and the phrase, KKK lives. My colleague reported it to a public safety um, person who happened to be in the building at the time and was also sitting located directly across from the court board with the racial epithet. The person that was being advised uh, or having it drawn to their attention was actually unaware that the phrases and the symbol written were actually problematic, let's just say. And so wow. my colleague had to do a mini lesson on what the symbol meant, what the phrase meant, and the potential harm and danger it could cause to or presented to the occupants of Delaney Hall. Now, Delaney Hall is named after Dr. Delaney, and it is the first building in the Cooney system to be named for an African-American person. Dr. Delaney helped integrate um, schools and curriculums in Long Island and was the um, pioneering director of the Sikh program and its curriculum, which was specifically designed by mandate, um, spearheaded by, the, um, by our beloved Shirley Chisholm, and the Honorable and Right Percy Sutton, and the program beyond its design of um, reaching into the communities that were being underserved by the City University of New York, it also attempted to bridge gaps between the college and the communities in which the college resided. Now, the significance of Delaney Hall comes in that initially, the students who were brought into the SEEK program did not have a building or a space to even go and register for classes. They were registering for classes on the sidewalk, under tents, in the parking lot, any catch-can place that they could find. So there was no actual designated space for students of color or for programs that service students of color on the campus until Delaney Hall was taken over and named for Dr. Delaney. And so the building has become a safe space and a haven for students and faculty of color. It houses um, the Africana Studies Program, which I am the um, new director of, the SEEK Program, and the Center for um, Religious, for Ethnic and Religious um, Equality, known as the Rule. Uh, in the building as well. And so the programs and the faculty and staff and students that frequent Delaney Hall all happen to be people of the African diaspora, 
people of varying religious backgrounds, people of varying socioeconomic backgrounds. And so having a swastika and the KKK lives scrawled on the court board on the anniversary of January 6th carries significant weight. The, the fact that someone came into what we consider to be with people of color on the campus and defaced campus property using language and terminology that presents a threat to the lives of the occupants in the building was alarming. This was brought to the attention of our administration, including the president of our college, the um, new dean of, De of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the vice president of student enrollment and academic affairs. And this was the, it was brought to their attention first um, by verbal and email reports, then second in the form of a demand letter um, on behalf of all of the 40 occupants of Delaney Hall. Um, and in that letter, we specified to them that we would like to see protective measures taken to ensure the safety of the faculty, staff, and students who frequent the building. In addition, we ask them to ensure the safety of the content of the building. And thirdly, and most importantly, that a procedure and process uh, be put in place that included repercussions for persons who use their right of freedom of speech to promote hate, discord, and threaten the lives of others. To date? Yeah, and Dr. Duncan, what has been the response of the, of the college? Uh, we're a little short of time, so just tell us about that. And also, if there's anything that our listeners can do on this outrage, because I put this in the context of these threats that have been happening against the historically black colleges, the HBCUs, which we know Queens College isn't, but there's a way in which Delaney Hall, you know what I mean? It, it kind of represents a similar exactly. thing. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Because Delaney Hall is symbolic in this and in line with the, the concept of what HBCUs do, which is provide a safe education space for the growth and promotion of young minority minds for the people for people of color, and so the the university in their response has said that they are investigating the matter with law enforcement. They have yet to put in writing or in action any specific safety protocols that would ensure the the um, safe space atmosphere is maintained um, in Delaney Hall. They have taken no visible steps that we can see other than writing a letter to say that they condemn the action. They have not called together a committee to issue a zero tolerance policy or to state what the repercussions would be for persons who are caught um, or um, doing this kind of, of act. Yeah. And as a result, the occupants of Delaney Hall have determined that they will not return to the building to work and continue to work remotely um, by email and by Zoom um, and by telephone uh, with the students. Classes are being held via Zoom by all of the persons who would normally have office space or class in Delaney Hall. 
I, for one, had a, a compounding experience where someone took it upon themselves to directly contact me and threaten and say that, you know, I, as an N-B-I-T-C-H, was going to go down. And so wow. we recognize that we are under attack in the same way that the HBCUs are under attack, that these threats are not idle threats um, and they're not isolated, that there is a groundswell movement. And so we have now begun to look at ways that we can um, coordinate and correlate to help broaden the conversation and increase awareness of the threat um, to academic and academic life and academic progress um, for people of color on all college campuses. Right. And Dr. Duncan, we are going to have to leave it there, but could people go to the Seek Queens College website to know how to contact you all in terms of any support people might want to give? Um, um, yes. You know, you this is just an outrageous situation. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can go to the, the Seek the Seek College website at Queens College. You can also go to the Africana Studies webpage. You can also contact the, you can also write to me directly at nduncan at qc.cuny.edu, n-d-u-n-c-a-n at qc.cuny.edu. We're also encouraging people to write to our college president, President Frank Wu, to write to the chancellor of the CUNY system, um, Chancellor Matos, as well. Right. Well, on that note, we're going to try to post uh, that material, um, those uh, contacts on our social media. And please, uh, Dr. Duncan, continue to keep us posted on this. We really would like to follow up on this. Thank you so very much for joining us. And please, I hope you are staying safe. The sound of that threat was just horrible. So be well and safe and take good care. You too. Okay. All righty, Dr. Tanya Duncan. We're now going to wrap our show up. I know a lot of people, a lot of listeners uh, right now are looking forward to the Super Bowl. It's, you know, it's coming up on Sunday, February 13th. But meanwhile, there's stuff happening behind the scenes where law enforcement quietly threatening to, quote, unquote, clean up the streets. I'd now like to welcome Alex uh, McAlit, who is an organizer with the U.S. Prostitutes uh, Collective. Uh, They're based in the Bay Area. It's a national uh, multiracial uh, network. Alex, welcome. Thank you, Margaret. It's good to be on the show today. Yeah, Alex, I'm sorry, we're a little short of time. Uh, We ran a bit over here, but uh, tell our listeners um, what is going on. First of all, tell us about um, the event uh, that U.S. Prostitutes Collective, along with others, are part of, and specifically what uh, the role of U.S. Prostitutes Collective has been in that coalition. Alex. Yes, thank you. Um, So... Uh, U.S. Prostitutes Collective is a part of a committee called the Stop the Rates Committee um, that has come together against the crackdowns that um, routinely are promoted and happen during large sporting events like the Super Bowl. Um, These sporting events are routinely connected with a false hype about a rise in trafficking, and um, the police departments in, in the local areas in which the Super Bowls happen um, are 
promoting that human trafficking and traffickers are going to be coming to town. Um, and so they are ramping up police operations um, right now. And so we are having um, a sex worker rights symposium on the 9th of February from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. And we're going to be uh, having community leaders, or not leaders, but community um impacted community folks uh, and other people who are doing movement work around decriminalization. I'm going to be speaking at the symposium, raising um, concern about the issues of the context that the police use trafficking um, enforcement to do anti-sex work enforcement. Um, So we're uh, getting together to ensure that the most impacted communities are represented on this panel um, at the symposium and to help build build more momentum towards the movement for decriminalization. Um, So us pros' particular role in this is to make sure that these communities that are at the bottom are connected to this organizing that's going on. Um, I want to make it very clear that uh, one of the reasons why we're focused on this is uh, as a multiracial organization, we're very focused on ending racism that um, people who do sex work are heavily impacted by. Um, So most of the people who are impacted in the sex work community by racist enforcement of the law Um, are people of color working on the streets. And in Los Angeles, um, in particular, uh, the arrest rates show that Black women make up the most arrests for prostitution-related charges. Um, And so we're seeing that Black and brown people are being specifically targeted um, and are making up very high percentages of the arrest rates. And we want to bring this attention um, to end this racist enforcement and to end the brutality and harm that anti-trafficking enforcement brings to the communities. Um, And this doesn't just impact sex workers on the street. This also impacts um, houseless people and other people who are living on the streets. Right. And and also, um, um, Alec, just a few minutes we have left, you know, um, it really is false misinformation, all this hype around the Super Bowl and, you know, all, all this trafficking is going to be going on. But also we know that trafficking is being used uh, not only in the lead up to the Super Bowl, but generally uh, to go after sex workers, um, you know, and um, but the people who are being trafficked, like working in in restaurants and agriculture, et cetera, they seem less concerned about that. But the definition of trafficking is forced or bonded labor, abduction, kidnapping, false imprisonment, rape, grievous bodily harm, extortion, and there are existing laws to cover all of this. Part of it is really just, uh, and people who are then truly trafficked, um, and it's much fewer than people are saying, don't get the help they need. Your final thoughts, uh, Alex, and also give us, uh, our audience, information where they can go, a website they can go to find out information about this important webinar coming up, and also to find out more about the work of U.S. Prostitutes Collective. Alex. 
small schoolers. Thank you, Margaret. Yes, you're very right. All of the resources that the community needs is being sucked up by law enforcement, anti-trafficking enforcement. And so it's really important that we are all aware of what's going on and we know the truth. All of the Super Bowl myths have been debunked. Um, So if you would like to get involved and find out more information, you can go to uspros.net. Um, and there, the first thing you'll see on our website right now is the information for the symposium that we're having. You can register at bit.ly slash stop the raids 22 with um, each letter of the first word capitalized or each word capitalized. Um, and yeah, go to uspros.net and you can find out more about the symposium and how to get involved in um, decrim organizing. Right. Well, on that note, we are going to have to leave it there. Uh, we hope that our own Nana Jumpy will be part of that panel and, and also stop LAPD spying some people from their network. But we're out of time. We're going to have to leave it there. Today's show produced by Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our engineer today, Jose Benavides. I'm glad that you're back and better, uh, Jose. Our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at uh, 1-800-735-0230. Go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Y'all, please remember to stay safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott.